Welcome everyone to a new episode of uh, Data Driven Talk. Today I am here with um, Chris Val from Rubrik. Hi Chris, how are you? Hey, I'm snazzy, fantastic. Let's do this. <laughs> And uh, we are going to talk about uh, the boring life of the backup administrator and more in general the backup uh, in the data center, how it is evolved and what's happened in the last uh, couple of years and uh, what we expect for the for the future okay uh chris i know that uh, you are the most uh, uh, famous uh, podcaster and uh, blogger in um, in the community but uh, you know if you can introduce yourself again uh, and uh, maybe what you what you do in your working life Sure. I mean, I think you gave me a promotion there, but hello, everybody listening to the podcast. I'm Chris Wall. Uh, I do co-host a podcast called The Data Knots, where we focused on busting silos in the enterprise IT space. And at Rubrik, I'm the chief technologist, which essentially just means that I try to blend what we're doing in the data protection space with the trends in the market and what the overall kind of enterprise IT space is trying to do and make sure that we're aligning well with what customers and vendors need. That's great. There so, okay, uh, let's start with uh, the topic of the show. Uh, as I told, uh, backup is boring, okay? We are doing uh, backup every day on, uh, at home and uh, in the data center just uh, because it's a necessary evil and uh, we want to be sure to have the, our data back if, uh, you know, something happens, something bad happens, okay? But, uh, uh, you know, we are been doing backups and um, since the beginning of IT, always in the same way, okay? For several years, uh, I, I saw it in my working life. It was tapes, then uh, then we had, uh, you know, backup appliance and a few, you know, two, three names that were very common, but all the same architecture, right? So a very complex world with agents and uh, sub-agents, everything. Um, License it and uh, just to do a, a copy of a tape was a problem uh, when I started and so on. And yeah, things got better, but actually, uh, the complication of all this uh, word uh, always, uh, you know, amazed me some, somehow. Yeah, I think, I think actually backup wasn't boring enough. And the reason I say that is it was still something that, as you propose, was quite complex. Right. It was the architecture was largely boring because we knew it and it hadn't changed. So it was it was pretty well known that this is something you're going to have to do. And the architecture really wasn't up to you. But it wasn't boring in the sense of you could just not worry about it. Right. Because obviously, when you need something back, all of a sudden backup becomes very not boring, especially when it's a, a mission critical application. And so that's why I think newer vendors in the space, Rubrik being one of them, really just looked at the world and said, Customers ultimately want a solution that allows you, know, you or them to know that the data is protected. You can get it back. That can be done rapidly. And that's what we did. You know, that, that, mm -hmm. And that is the way it should be boring, right? Not, not boring from an intellectual perspective. Yeah. Also, when I was younger, okay, let's say 20 years <laughs> ago. <laughs> and, um, and I was still a season man, okay, trying to to do this backup policies and everything was complicated because you had this uh, um, backup window, okay? Usually at the beginning was uh, during the whole night and then this backup uh, window started to shrink a lot in, um, in the years. But actually there was this problem that 
sometimes you don't even know if you are doing the right thing, okay? Because, you know, you, you set up uh, tons of uh, jobs, or, or at least at the time they, they were called jobs, and, and at the end... At the, um, in the morning, okay, you discover that some jumps didn't do the right uh, the right thing. Some other times, you, you discover that they they were not backing the right data in the right uh, yeah. way, and so on. It was so complicated, okay. And I, I think that it, it didn't change even when we started talking about uh, virtualization, okay. So we started virtualizing. Uh, um, physical server but actually it didn't change uh, that much for a while right exactly i mean so i guess taking a step back that part of the challenge as a backup administrator or as someone that's dealing with data that's protected was that you didn't really have a lot of choice and how that process went and that's how the kind of the pain and the misery was associated with it because as you as you log in every morning, you're that layer that tries to take the business needs and apply them to the applications and the data. And therefore, the vendors that constructed all those you know, backup software, backup storage type architectures really relied on you to do all the heavy lifting, which, which isn't very nice. Um, and as we progressed through the model of changing the architecture around backup, it's really just been around speeds and feeds and adding more layers into the overall architecture stack, but not solving for that critical point, which is the person, right? So as we approach virtualization and containers and larger pieces of storage and deduplication was added back in, you know, the mid 2000s or so, it really didn't change the ultimate workflow that we had to go through. And you're absolutely right, Enrique, uh, Enrique you had to do, um, I'm sorry, Enrico, you had to do the, um, the actual translation layer at, at the human level Right, so that, that you're going in and monitoring all the work that's being performed by the application, um, as kind of like a, a an imperative type work as a person, rather than relying on a system that's able to look at the whole architecture and say these are the changes that need to be made. And, and often the most poignant analogy that I make is today we rely on a lot of systems to provide automation for complex you know, architectures like stoplights. You know, imagine driving your car around and still relying on a person at every intersection to go through and um, do all the handling of that traffic. It would be a nightmare. Like, that's how we originally had the system. No, we rely on computers and intelligent software to look at the flows of traffic and manage all the stoplights and whatnot to go with that. And we trust that kind of system. And so we're just making that transition today in the data protection world, if that makes sense. Yes, and also, I, I remember... Uh, again, when I was younger, <laughs> that uh, that it was very complicated to do restores, okay, full restores, or even if you were looking for data that you, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to find uh, uh, a file and um, be sure that it was the right file, okay. I don't know if it's changed lately, but actually uh, it was a pain in the neck all the time. But uh, right. And um, this is... Uh, these are the challenges of uh, of the backup world that we saw in the in the past. But now it's even more complicated because we have the cloud, right? So we started to look uh, uh, to a larger world, not just uh, the fact that we are backupping locally, but sometimes even for uh, disaster recovery reasons or uh, just to have a secondary copy on uh, on a different media. The cloud uh, uh, entered in the in the picture, and. Uh, well, I think I think you hit on the uh, a very important piece there, Enrico. That's a really really important piece. Uh, the addition to cloud 
should not make things more complex if we think about it, because it's just another another pool of resources ultimately. But you're right, it has made things much more complex. And that's totally counter to how data management should be. I mean, in my mind, it doesn't matter if we have 10 data centers or five data centers and three different public cloud providers or whatnot. If the system gets inherently more complex as we add to the topology options like on-prem and plug cloud and whatnot, that that's the problem. And I think that's really pointing to the fact that every system out there that we, you know, you and I have had to deal with as, as technologists ultimately never even thought of the idea of public cloud. And so in order to handle that workload or handle that use case with their software, it does become not just a little more complex, but logarithmically, uh, logarithmically more complex, you know, exponentially more complex. Uh, and that's been the big problem. And I think that's what's causing, you know, customers, prospects, you know, pe- people like us that were out in the technology world saying, this is no longer manageable because now I am being forced to do, you know, cloud first or cloud only initiatives with technology that was built for mainframe, you know, and client server, it just does not work. No, right. And sometimes it's also complicated to to build a, a backup system that it, uh, you know, scales enough to to manage the the growth of data that we are uh, seeing in the in the data center and again in the cloud because even the cloud has to be backup some, somehow. Okay, so the not all the application maybe, but uh, you know, you have a. Uh, you need smarter backup uh, solutions than in the past. And uh, I want to know more about what you are doing at Rubrik, just because I know uh, I was briefed in the past when I was an independent uh, uh, blogger. And uh, I know that you have a very nice, fancy solution. Okay. And the first time I saw it, it remembered me, Time Machine on the Mac. But uh, yeah, it was yeah. a long time ago, so I don't know how it uh, it evolved and uh, and uh, but I remember that it was so easy. Well, the user interface was uh, you know actually too easy to be to be good, you know, because it was just uh, <laughs> so. So please uh, tell me a little bit more and uh, what happened in the last couple of years for Rubrik, what uh, what the platform does and. Uh, and uh, the goal and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I would say that the Rubrik's best way of expressing it, especially if you're a systems engineer kind of working in, in the field of technology, is that we make it really simple to look at that kind of complex and complete lifecycle needed for data management. And that's the backup, the recovery, the archive, the replication, finding data, you know, all those things that you have to do. We simplify those into really just the bare simplest pieces so that all you do as an administrator is build service level agreements and apply those to objects that you want to protect, whether they're virtual machines or physical servers, NAS, file sets, you know, databases, you name it. Uh, They're all just kind of objects. And that's really all you're doing. Again, just business SLAs, associate them to objects, and then allow the rubric cloud data management platform to do all the work. The neat thing that I think that you commented on a little bit earlier, Enrico, was the simplicity around that, because most of the solutions out there are really focused on, all right, I need to deploy some software, I need to get data from the primary system into some kind of dedupling appliance, and then get it from there into a tape, and then get it from there 
uh, from a tape into an archive repository. Like they're just focused on all the little micro steps necessary just to retire data and archive it. Whereas what we're really focused on here at Rubrik is making sure that the data is always really easy to get to and making sure that the entire life cycle is being managed by Rubrik, not just being handed off to someone else and hoping that it's there. So going back to your kind of more specific question, in the past year, uh, we've released, I think, four or five big versions of the product. We're now at 4.1 of the product. We now support every hypervisor, every public cloud, uh, or all the major hypervisors, rather, all the major public clouds out there. Uh, physical workloads, applications directly, such as SQL. Uh, and we acquired a company named Dados.io, and that's now Rubrik Dados, which is laser-focused on NoSQL and distributed-type databases. So we're really looking at providing protection uh, from kind of the bleeding edge of the market, which would be like MongoDB, Hadoop, that kind of jazz, all the way down to more kind of data center applications like SQL and Oracle and, and Windows and Linux, and as well as public cloud type applications, things that you're running cloud native in Amazon or Azure or Google Cloud. So a lot a lot of ecosystem development since we last talked, Enrico, uh, but the core of the product is the same. You just take SLAs, assign it to protected objects. It doesn't matter where they live, you know, public cloud, on-prem, colo, edge, it's all fine. And the system then abstracts all the complexity and just says, cool, you have this four hour SLA for data, we got you covered. Okay, so the the solution evolved uh, a lot. You, you, in yeah. fact, <laughs> I, I missed a lot of of it. So I, I the last time we spoke was about uh, doing a backup uh, for uh, for VMware only, and you were uh, thinking about doing uh, Hyper-V also at the time. I don't know if you did it, but uh, but actually you are telling now about uh, physical servers, about uh, applications, databases mostly, and even NoSQL, which is uh, pretty amazing because NoSQL is uh, you know uh, it's not. Uh, very common, but we all know that it's the next step for uh, for many large data center uh, that are managing large big data workloads. So it's a it's an yeah. interesting use case for a, for a, for a backup uh, solution or data protection solution more 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 in general, as you said, and uh, and also the fact that you are cloud enabled on one side but you can also support the cloud uh, did i did i understand well so you can use the cloud as a backend but also you can uh, backup resources that are uh, uh, on the cloud right yeah i tend to i tend to walk it through kind of like the natural evolution that we as technologists have gone through so imagine we all had our original data center and you would deploy Rubrik as a physical appliance in there and we'll protect the, you know, I call them data center applications because I think legacy is a bit harsh. These typically generate revenue, so I'll be nice. We'll say data center applications running on Windows or Linux or, or virtualized or whatnot. And then your boss comes to you and says, okay, great, we got this cloud first initiative. We, we want to start deploying stuff into, we'll say Azure as an example. Well, great, we can start actually archiving data that you're generating on premises in your data center uh, as part of the SLA. So we'll do the backup into the appliance locally, and then we'll archive that data to Azure or any of the other major providers. But then your boss says, well, we actually want to start running some workloads in Azure. And you can say, no problem, because now what we can also do is 
Uh, you can deploy Rubrik as our cloud cluster technology, which is just basically a virtualized version of our software running in Azure or the other uh, cloud providers. And we can back up things locally, or we can use another technology called Cloud On, and we can actually go through all the data that we've archived in Azure or AWS, and we can build new virtual machines or instances from the archived data uh, for you. And that's very fairly instant. We'll do all the conversion. It doesn't matter if it's a VMware virtual machine locally. We'll turn it into a Hyper-V virtual machine using VHDs or an AWS EC2 instance as an AMI. And that's all handled for you. And so it's just, it really doesn't matter. You can kind of do whatever you want based on the way that you're growing in the cloud. Okay, my my only concern here is uh, about the management because you're telling, okay, you can do deploy rubric, whatever you want and in the form that that you like, okay? So virtual, physical, cloudish. But uh, what about the management? (laughs) You know, so is it a central management or do I have to manage uh, uh, multiple uh, backup or data protection silos, you know, Uh, because this is uh, probably the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. You've got a few options there, too. Um, So if you have some kind of need to do air gapping or multi-tenancy or something like that, that's all native to the product. Uh, So if you want to have different silos of the clusters and managed by different people, such as maybe an MSP that offers a service using Rubrik, that's possible. And multi-tenancy is fully supported in the product uh, to kind of make sure that only the SQL DBA can see their databases versus everything that maybe a a global administrator can see. Uh, You can also plug into a a pretty wide swath of supported third-party solutions. Uh, Secure24 is an example of a customer that tied in really heavily into ServiceNow. And so they're using ServiceNow to do kind of a shopping cart-like experience to rubric across the board. And then most recently, we've announced Polaris, um, which is something that's coming out very soon. I can't share too many details there. Let's just say to keep your eyeball on that as a very, very unique way to do some interesting management features around rubric. Yes, this sounds really cool. And uh, so do, do you also provide an API if the, the customer wants to interact with your uh, solution with an API instead of a user interface? Well, here's where I'm going to stand up on my soapbox just a little bit, Enrico, uh, because <laughs> yes, the answer, is, the answer is absolutely yes. But <clears throat> that, that's often just a checkbox for a vendor. I'll say there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to offer an API. The way that Rubrik does it, I think, is extremely true to the idea behind having an open, documented, and available set of RESTful APIs. So what we actually do is we put a full set of RESTful APIs underneath the covers, you know, actually running on all the nodes, and everything you do within the graphics interface calls the API. If you're running Chrome, for an example, you can hit F12 to go to developer mode. You can see all of those calls and actually use those to to build some automation in case you're new to RESTful APIs. But it means that every feature, every every little thing, tick box, workflow, et cetera, that Rubrik ever offers is completely built into the API. It's tested because we use it and it's available to you uh, because we document it and we give you all the, the tools and the playground and everything to learn and consume the API. Uh, as opposed to a lot of vendors really kind of, they, they frustrate me because I've had to work with them and it's only a small subset of APIs are available or they're not documented or they're internal and you have to pay for them. No, all of the rubric APIs are fully open, documented, free to use. That's great. Again, the fact that you are using your own API is probably the, the most important thing here because you are sure that you are, you know, everything that you see 
from the dashboard, probably something that you can replicate uh, in a customized integration if you need it, especially for the service provider. Should be a, uh, it is a yeah, great thing. Yeah, 100%. Because a lot of times you'll go to use, I know I was frustrated when I was not working for Rubrik when I was working as a consultant, because you would, you'd find this cool feature and you're like, oh, great, I want to automate that. And they say, well, that's, that's not in the API because enough customers didn't ask us for it yet. Mm-hmm. Or, well, it's in there, but only half the features work. Don't use these other ones. They're broken. And you think, man, that's really terrible. I can't <laughs> believe that they're, they're holding back. Or, or they say, well, you got to buy the enterprise licensing to get the API. And you're like, well, that kind of sucks too i just want to automate this stuff so that's a i'll get down off my soapbox that's a hot topic for me but but yes a lot of people like to consume the api because it allows you to choose any language or tool that you want and honestly that that's that's the point right that with you were talked about scaling out and and just explosions and data growth it's not going to be possible to manage these systems in a manual like command prompt type of way as we move forward, there's just too much stuff going on. So I think having these automation plugins should be a, just a no-brainer for every vendor in the ecosystem. And uh, we talked about uh, uh, in, uh, integrations with the uh, application, okay, so up in the stack. But I, actually, if I remember well, you also have some integration with uh, the hardware vendors, like array vendors and, uh, and things like that. Is it correct? Absolutely. There's... Probably somewhere north of 40-odd integrations with our alliance partners. Um, One that we tend to highlight quite a bit is with pure storage. And so we can work directly with the hardware for for making sure that we have the snapshots uh, kind of coexisting where you can take a snapshot at the pure storage layer, and then we work with them to get the data off of it. Uh, So yeah, a lot of those integrations are largely there to make sure that we are certified and compliant to to get the data over there and that their S3-like experience works the way we expect it to. I will say beyond that, though, most everything we do, we try to remain completely protocol and hardware agnostic. So we don't use NDMP as an example to talk to a file system. We have our own technologies that handle that, that actually crawl through the Q trees and the hierarchy and whatnot. And so a lot of that is completely abstracted from the hardware level because there's no there's no hardware integration points you can really use in the public cloud world. So everything has to be kind of designed to be hardware agnostic if possible. Hmm. And uh, and what about the hardware? Because at the beginning, we talked a little bit uh, about the fact that, uh, you know, you can deploy on the cloud on, on an appliance or whatever, but the appliance is just a box. Uh, I know that it, there is more than just one box, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, every every enterprise company out there is looking to solve for complexity and remove pain. I mean, that's just the default. I, I think the key metric, though, is around solving that at scale for the entire data protection stack. And so with Rubrik, yes, we, we have an appliance. And honestly, a lot of a lot of thought went into building the hardware stack for that and making sure that it's... You know, we're using four plus two uh, for erasure encoding, uh, erasure coding rather on the on on the software layer on the file system within the logic. So there's not anything special in the hardware stack. We're not using some kind of special accelerator card or flash widget or something like that. However, at the same time, it is purpose built for our solution. It's highly tested. It comes turnkey, and that's kind of nice because then. You're not having to go around and figure out exactly what to buy and load the software. I mean, literally shows up and within 60 minutes, it's online, it's rocking and rolling, it's taking backups. If you want, you can also work with our other 
hardware manufacturers like Cisco to, to buy something that's more comfortable for you. Maybe you have all Cisco UCS in your data center. You can go that route as well. Uh, or you could just get the appliance direct, you know, from the rubric factory and it's just loaded with our own stuff. Yeah. So if you are a very large customer, maybe uh, because your processes or whatever you want to stick your, with your hardware, the hardware you like or the vendors that you, you know, usually have in your, but uh, for smaller customer, probably it's much easier to buy an appliance. That's the point, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the point. This is a question that I usually ask to everybody. What is your smallest installation and the largest installation? Um, well, the smallest would be a virtual appliance. So we have different sizes of the hardware appliance. We have different sizes of the virtual appliance. Uh, so you can deploy what's called Rubric Edge. And that one's interesting because I think in this particular use case, there's only a few, you know, a couple handfuls of virtual machines being protected by an Edge site. Uh, but it's way out in the middle of nowhere with uh, using uh, using antenna like satellite internet to get to this site. So it's really high latency, very low bandwidth, um, and it's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of challenges in getting to that. So what the customer did was they deployed Rubric Edge into the environment to protect the data and the virtual machines and a few physicals that are out in that environment, and they beam that data over satellite back to a cloud provider that's hosting their data. Um, in the United States. And so that would probably be the smallest footprint deployment that's out there. We can also do a three node deployment if you want to, you know, if you have a small but growing data center that you want to deploy with the appliance. And then on the bigger side, we've got some customers that are using in excess of 50 to 60 nodes worth of rubric uh, in one single data center. And those all come together as one logical cluster. Okay, this is huge, but... Uh, um... I, yeah, that's multi-petabyte <laughs> in, in one particular data center. Yeah, and uh, I, I bet you didn't eat uh, a wall yet, right? It's a single domain, and you could potentially scale uh, even more if necessary, right? <laughs> yeah, the uh, the we do have a limit. I think it's something like 2 to the 64th power nodes okay, yeah. because that's the, the addressable space of data that, that is in our registry. But, but yeah, the limit, you basically run out of power and space <laughs> in the data center before you run out of space for rubric. No, that's a, that just, just to know, you know, because because sometimes you you, you talk with vendors and uh, everything looks uh, uh, shiny and cool and whatever, but then when you implement it, you you find uh, limits and constraint uh, over time that you know uh, it's uh, always. Uh, difficult then to to manage the situation and yeah i'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick uh, on the background that just just between you me and all the listeners the the folks that d designed the underlying system also had a hand in writing file systems for google uh as well as working for the search folks at google and you know so they're definitely to them you know a ten thousand node deployment is like mid-sized because they were working at that scale for google data centers so anything that you know we as an enterprise you know kind of technologists can throw at it are, are just no sweat you know yeah. <laughs> so it'll definitely scale yeah and um what about the licensing so do you have one of these uh, very complex uh, backup software licensing with tons of uh, Codes to order, you know, agents, and then the capacity, and then no. all the rest. That, uh... <laughs> In a word, no. Uh, when you purchase the solution, it just works. So, uh, how is the licensing? Uh, how does it work? Yeah, no, no. So it's it's really it's really straightforward. When you 
when you buy the appliance, it becomes, it's it's fully available. There's nothing that gets turned off or turned on. You 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 are entitled to everything the Rubric Cloud Data Management or RCDM software provides. Uh, and then if you'd like to start working with a cloud provider to use our cloud on technology, in which cloud on again, Enrico is just that's where we take the archive data that's in the cloud, or we take data that's on-prem and we build virtual machines for you and, and just manage those. There's a license for that just to turn that on, but those are basically the two choices you're making. You know, you, you buy the appliance and then do you want to do cloud on or not? We try to keep it really simple. The goal is not to, you know, like some vendors have a, have certifications on licensing. We're going to try to avoid that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it should be really simple. Yeah, also because you have a, built a, a simple solution. Why? complicated with a with a complex licensing you know <laughs> and, uh, the, yeah absolutely uh, um, and the other things that I want to ask you is about is about the future because uh, you know data sayo was um, for me was something like uh, out of the blue in, in the in the sense that uh, it's a it's a change in in your strategy somehow okay so you you acquired a company that is a uh, a NoSQL management platform at the end. And uh, so you, you are working on uh, expanding the range of the, on the things that uh, your platform can do, right? What can we expect from the future of Rubrik? Yeah, I think one of the things that we do well is try to, try to follow the trends that are going on without dis, you know, completely abandoning where we were in the market and what we've done that's been so successful. And, and if you look at the track record that Rubrik has brought to market, we're really, really good at making the deployment and the management and kind of that cloud data management idea very realizable for the enterprise, especially when they're on-prem and trying to get into the cloud environments. But we're also looking at public cloud is now somewhere in the 12 to 15% of total, you know, all applications and data percentage. They're, they're about 12 to 15% of all apps are, are in public cloud. That's growing for some cloud for vendors, cloud providers, you know, 40% annual to 25% annual. Uh, that's just a massive amount of growth, yep. as well as another trend is around how we're building our applications. You see functions as a service or serverless. You see NoSQL and distributed type applications really becoming the, you know, the architecture de jour for building out services. And so having something in our tool belt that is just, I mean, there's a ton of patents, a lot of intelligence that's gone into Datos.io around protecting these. And that's really complex to protect Mongo or some kind of distributed sharded type, you know, even partition type database where there's no one node that has consistency on everything at one time by default. That's hard, right? And a lot of vendors now are just doing some some weird tricks to get the data that basically turns a distributed database back into a monolithic one, takes the backup, and then puts it back in place. And that's ugly, right? So to get something elegant that's, that can handle that is important. And it, it allows us to accelerate that kind of cloud-native application protection that you're seeing the trends going up on, as well as continuing to provide the data center application protection that we're already really good at. I think when you meld these things together, the customer can then become really happy because if they want to try new things and do that fail fast, you know, I want to do some DevOps type work and make a a distributed application across clouds, multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, whatever, they can do that and still protect it. Because the the interesting nature, Enrico, around those type of applications is it tends to be you, you try it and it immediately becomes super successful, it blows up, and then you're like, oh no, I need to protect it. Or it dies and you try a new version of it. You keep trying and trying and trying until you get it right. And so there's a number of customers that all of a sudden have a huge MongoDB deployment, as an example. And they're like, 
okay, how are we protecting that? Answer, we're not. Okay, that's bad. (laughs) So that market's going to continue to grow. And, and, and those are, those are large enterprise customers that are usually kicking the tires with these things. You know, like Walmart Labs often goes to the DevOps Enterprise Summit and talks about these new technologies they're using. So I just feel like those kind of technologies, you know, the distributed kind of uh, shared nothing, NoSQL type databases will continue to rise in popularity and in data scale. Right. I totally get it. Okay. I think that we, we had a very nice conversation and I really like... Uh, both your point of view on the rubric and uh, how the data protection world is changing. Uh, thank you very much for your time today, uh, Chris. And uh, how can we find you on uh, on the Twitters on uh, on the web? to get also more information about Rubik. Well, first off, thanks Enrico for inviting me to the podcast. Um, hope the listeners have learned a few things. If you have a question or want to ping me and uh, and, and get nerdy, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Wall, that's W-A-H-L. And my blog is wallnetwork.com. Thank you very much, Chris, and bye-bye. Bye.